I am by nature a, a hopeful person. I am by nature an optimistic person. The, the default of who I am is that I always uh, seem to believe that the best is still yet to come. I look at a situation, I believe there's always potential, there's always possibility to head. My, my nature uh, is to always be optimistic. Now, uh, that doesn't mean that I do not get discouraged. Uh, it doesn't mean that there aren't times or places in my life when I can't understand what's going on and I'm wondering what in the world is, ever, is even going on here. Uh, it doesn't mean that I do not get down. But what it, what it does mean is that at the end of the day, hope always seems to, to well back up. And I truly believe that the best is still ahead. I believe that. I, I just have that in my core. The best is still ahead. Let me tell you, I believe for you, the best is still ahead. I believe for me, the, the best is still ahead. I believe for us as a church, the best is still ahead. You know, isn't that the gospel of Jesus Christ? Isn't that the message of the gospel? No matter what our past is, no matter what our, our current troubles are, no matter what our failings are, no matter what our sin is, in Jesus Christ, the best is still ahead. This week is our 11th message in our seven-week sermon series, It Is Still the Church. And we've been looking at Jesus' instructions to the church. Pretty awesome. Jesus' teachings, his instructions for the church. And I believe for our church, as we have gathered here today, these are Jesus' instruction for our church. Well, let me just say, 11 weeks in, let me tell you, I am more convinced this morning that for Calvary Baptist Church of Vernon, Texas, for us, the greatest days are still ahead. I believe that. As we've traveled across these 11 weeks, I believe the greatest days are still ahead. Now, I want to make sure that you hear me this morning. I want to make sure that you're hearing that. For Calvary Baptist Church, the best days are still ahead. Listen, it's okay to smile. It's okay to be excited. Listen, in the plan of Jesus Christ, the best days are still ahead. Listen, I'm sure the best days are still ahead. The grave today is still empty. Jesus Christ is still Lord today. The gospel today is great news. In a dark world, the gospel is great news. The church is still the plan of Christ, and if we will just trust and obey, God is faithful. The greatest days are still ahead. Do you believe that? The greatest days are still ahead. I feel like a cheerleader. The greatest days are still ahead because of Jesus Christ. Today our message is entitled, The Right Church. The Right Church. We're in Revelation chapter 3, today verses 7 through 13. The Right Church. I'm going to ask if you would, if you would stand with me in the honor and the reverence of the reading of God's word. Revelation chapter 3, beginning here in the 7th verse, Jesus himself is speaking. Jesus says this, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, He who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and shuts and no one opens, says this, I know your deeds. Behold, I have put before you an open door, which no one can shut, because you have a little power. 
and have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie, I will make them come and bow down at your feet and make them know that I have loved you. Because you have kept the word of my perseverance, I also will keep you from the hour of testing, that hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have so that no one will take your crown. He who overcomes, I will make him a pillar in the temple of God. And he will not go out from it anymore. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we come today, and I'm thankful for your word, the truth of your word. I'm thankful for Jesus Christ, the Savior of your word. I'm thankful for the forgiveness of my sins, of our sins, that though we are dead in our trespasses and our sins, though we're guilty, that by faith in Jesus Christ, the best days are yet ahead. Lord, I pray for Calvary Baptist Church. I pray that you would lead it. I pray that you would direct it. I pray we'd be wise and we would discern how you're leading, that we'd be faithful to carry it out. And I pray for the witness and the glory of our Savior. The greatest days are still ahead. Lord, we love you today. We praise you today. We come and we, we assemble today and worship today. And we ask now again that you would speak. I pray for some in this service that do not know you. I pray that in the preaching of your gospel, that today might be the day of their salvation. Lord, we submit this to you. We tell you we love you. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Today I see a lot of fascination with or a lot of focus on the first century church, the early church as it was in the book of Acts. And I, I see people today and I hear preachers today that talk about we should be more like the church there in the book of Acts. Or they would, they would say, and maybe you hear it on the radio or maybe you hear it somewhere else, they, they're preaching that we would do well to be like that first century Christian church. Uh, I hear sermons on it. I see books on it. There's some new books out right now calling us to be like the, the early church, be like the first century church. Well, here's what I think. See, I think it's not about so much being like the first century church so much as it is being the right church. And where the first century church may have been the right church in the first century, we have to be the right church in the 21st century. What that means is this. We have to be who God has called us to be as a church today. We have to be exactly where God has called us to be as a church today. We have to do the things that he set out for us to do as a church today, right now, right here. It is about us being the right church. It's about us being the, tr the true church, the right church in this day. All through this sermon series, it strikes a chord with me I do not want to be just another church. 
I do not want to be just another church. There's churches everywhere. On this block, there's three churches. There's, there's churches everywhere. I don't want to be just another church, but I want to be a church where God moves. I want to be where, where God's work is evident and it's clearly evident. I want to be where lives are changed and it's undeniable that lives are changing. I want to be part of a church where, where Jesus is preached and where Jesus is known and where Jesus is sung and where Jesus is loved. And you can't get around the folks of that church and not hear and see the truth of Jesus Christ. I want to be part of an awesome church for the glory of God. I want to be the right church. Now, what does that mean? What does that require? The right church. What, what exactly is that? I want to be the right church in, in this day. What does it mean to be the right church? Well, I believe all of these messages, all of these messages from Christ, we've been seeing that. Today, we're going to see that Again, today we're going to see three areas that, that, that it requires, three things that it requires of us to be the right church. Today, to be the right church, you have to have a right understanding of Jesus. To be the right church, you have to have a right witness to the world. And third, to be the right church, you have to have a right response to the call. Now, let me tell you, we ought to be excited as we hear those. Listen, don't you want to be a part of something great? Don't you want to be where God is moving? Jesus himself tells us what it's going to require, a right understanding of Jesus, a right witness to the world, and a right response to the call. All right, let's look at our verses. Verse 7, the first half. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, right. Remember the agent, John is gonna write it. He's gonna pass it to the pastor of the local church. There it will, be, it will be passed out and preached to that local church. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, right. Philadelphia was a city about 30 miles from Sardis. It was the youngest of the seven cities that Jesus addresses here in the book of Revelation. Now, it was an interesting city, if you think about it, because it was not founded on trade. Think about that. Most cities are founded on some sort of trade. There's a, an industry there, and that city springs up and builds around that industry. It wasn't founded on trade. It wasn't founded for protection. It wasn't a, a military outpost. One of these cities, at least, started as a military outpost. Well, this city wasn't for that reason. This city wasn't founded because of the natural resources that were there. Sometimes you'll hear, well, gold or copper or, or a commodity will be, will be in abundance there, and a, and a city will spring up around those natural resources. No, this city doesn't spring up because of its natural resources. It was actually founded to be the epicenter of the Greek culture. It was founded as a city to center around the Greek language and the Greek thought and the Greek culture. It was to be a center of what's called Hellenism. Now stay with me. Listen to this. The Greek thought, the Greek culture embraced a form of humanism that held that human reasoning and human thought and human intellect 
and human philosophy that those things, if we, would, if we would maximize those things, that they would bring the highest good to the culture. That was the system. That was the Hellenistic thought. You know what? A human thought and human philosophy and the depth of those things. If we could, if we could just think about those things and if we could just expound upon those things, the highest good for our society would come about. Now that seems a lot like our world today. And as I was thinking about this, maybe Philadelphia was like one of our university cities today where human ideas rule the day. Now be sure and hear me. Be sure and say what hear what I'm saying. I'm all for education. Yes, I'm all for education. But also understand this. Human-based logic, human-based philosophy, human-based psychology, human-based morality, human-based science, all of those things are based upon the belief that humans possess the answer. In human-based psychology, you know what? The answer is within yourself. And if we could just find the things that have gone wrong in the past, if we could just find the things that need to be in place, we're going to be able to solve this riddle. And so all these, all these ways of thought, human-based philosophy, you know what? If we could just figure out the best way and the, the kindest way and whatever way, we're going to have the best way to operate as humans. All of those things come from the thought that humans possess the answer. Listen today, as Christians, we embrace biblical logic. We embrace biblical philosophy. We embrace biblical morality. Our truth today, our knowledge, it seeks, it should be, it should seek as, as Christians to be Bible-led. I don't care what a team of, of geniuses say. I want to be Bible-led. I want to be Bible-directed. And our answers come not from the reasonings of man, however deep that they are. Our answers as humans come from the truth of God. Well, that was this city. They celebrated human thought. They celebrated human reasoning. And that was, that was their hope. Oh, that we'll figure out the deep things of the heart and the mind and our answers are gonna come from within ourselves. That's this city. Now, moving to the first point. To be the right church... We must have, now it's going to be interesting how these things stack on top of each other. It's going to be interesting how they match the context, how they're important to that context. But to be the right church, we must have the right understanding of Jesus. To be the right church, we must have the right understanding of Jesus. In the rest of verse 7, Jesus again describes himself. Jesus, again, presents himself. Now, I've said it all along, through these seven messages that Jesus gives, maybe the greatest thing is Jesus' description of himself. You want to know what Jesus is? You want to know what he entails? You want to know who he is? Here he is, and he describes it himself. Well, the rest of this seventh verse, Jesus, again, describes himself. Jesus, again, presents himself. Let me read the rest of verse 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, he who is holy, who is true, 
who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and who shuts and no one opens, says this. Now, see this this morning. This is huge. Really, it is central to everything. It's central to everything we believe as Christians. See this. See how Jesus reveals himself. He says, he who is holy. His first part of his description of himself, he says, he who is holy. Now that word, the word holy means set apart. That word means not the same or unlike, separate. That's what holy means. Now follow me here. As Christians, we are called to be holy. As Christians, if we're living according to the direction of God's word and the, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit of God, as Christians, we are seeking to be holy. That's what the Bible tells us. We're to be holy as he is holy. But understand this. God alone is truly holy. Only God is truly holy. Now, holiness really means separate from sin. And that, that's the difference. That is the distinction. Set apart, not the same. It is because he is separate from sin. Understand this. Only God is perfect. Only God is free from sin. And so this here is Jesus not only revealing his character, not only revealing his perfection, it is Jesus very clearly calling himself God. That's what this is. Now, there's some folks that say there's nowhere that Jesus ever claims to be God. That's clearly what this is. Only God is holy. He says, I am holy. It reveals his character. It reveals his perfection, but he is calling himself God. I am holy. No one is holy but God. I am holy. I am God. Jesus says, I'm God. He says, who is true? Who is true? The one who is true. That word true means real. It means authentic. It means pure. John 14, verse 6 says that Jesus is the truth. Listen, get, get the picture here. Jesus is the truth. He is the truth. Where everything else is unreliable, where everything else will not hold up, Jesus is the truth. Mankind, they're sitting around in this city. They're sitting around in these university cities and they're trying to use their brains to devise some concept of the truth. Listen, Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the truth. Then the description goes on. Who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, and shuts and no one will open. Holding the key of David. Revelation chapter 5, Revelation chapter 22, two Old Testament references as well. Holding the key of David is showing the authority of the Messiah. That's what it's talking about. The one who holds the key of David, they hold the authority as the Messiah. Now what that's revealing is, as the Messiah, he is, he is all powerful. As the Messiah, he is sovereign. As the Messiah, what he does stands. 
It's not washed away by time. It's not washed away by a change in culture. It's not washed away by the work of man. What he does as the Messiah, it stands. And see this. It says here that Jesus opens and Jesus shuts. Jesus, listen, and Jesus alone decides who will have access to the kingdom. And so see the picture. He is God. He is perfect. He is holy. He is the truth. Jesus is the truth. He is the way. And here he is declaring that he is the only way. And what he opens, nobody else can shut. And what he shuts, mankind and their great thought can never open. And so see this today. Jesus is declaring here in this picture of himself, see the magnitude of it. Jesus is declaring here, he is the way to enter in. He alone is the hope of mankind. He is the savior from sin. We're looking for a savior from sin. We need a savior from sin. He is saying he is the savior from sin. There are no other means of salvation except through him. This is what he's saying. He's saying John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. He is saying, Acts 4.12, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. He is saying, I am the hope, I am the way, I am the truth. If you're ever gonna be saved, it will be through me. Listen, to be the right church, we have to have the right Jesus. Friends, let's be very clear today. There's only one Jesus. You see, today, the world wants to recreate Jesus. And Satan and his false teachers want to spring up inside the churches and they want to distort and they want to move away from the truth of Jesus. Friends, there's only one Jesus. And it is the Jesus that he himself reveals in his word. I hear, well, Jesus has revealed himself differently in this day. Well, Jesus is doing a new thing in this day. Well, I have a fresh vision and a, and a, and a new side of what Jesus is. Listen, no other Jesus will do. No other Jesus will save. And if we're gonna follow and be the right church, we have to have the right Jesus. Second, to be the right church we must have the right witness to the world. We must have the right witness to the world. Now listen, the reason we exist is to lead people to Jesus Christ. That's why we exist as a church. Do you, do you know, well, the church worships. Listen, we're gonna worship in heaven. We can do it much greater there in the absence of sin. Well, the, well, the church comes and they encourage. Listen, there's gonna be encouragement in heaven. We're gonna be in the presence of Jesus. We'd be so much more encouraged there. Listen, the reason the church exists today is because God is patient and he is kind and he desires that not one should perish and so he leaves the church to propel and to push out the gospel of Jesus Christ that all might be saved. That's why the church exists. To be the right church, we must have the right witness to the world. Look at verse eight. I know your deeds. Pretty awesome. Every week, Jesus says, I know what you've been up to. I know your deeds. 
Behold, I have put before you an open door which no one can shut. Because you have a little power and have kept my word and have not denied my name. Let me tell you something. This may be the greatest church to ever exist right here. Oh, there's bigger churches and there's churches that have bigger influence. There's churches that have done mighty things. There's churches that we could talk about, oh, the hand of God was with that church. But I want to tell you this, according to what Jesus says, may be the greatest church to ever exist. I know your deeds. I know what you've been doing. Behold, I've put before you an open door which no one can shut. Because you have a little power and have kept my word and have not denied my name. Let's look at this verse. He says, I know your deeds. I know what you've done. I have put an open door before you which no one can shut. Now think about this. Hellenism, the emperor worship, they were known for emperor worship. The Jews who lived there, they all opposed the church. Now they may have talked like they were tolerant. Some of them didn't even pretend they weren't going to be tolerant. But all of those groups, they hated the church. All of those groups wanted to, to silence the church. They wanted the removal of that church. Well, Jesus says here that he opened the door for them to speak. Now, what that means is these groups, those Hellenists, those, those Jews who hated the cause of Jesus Christ, those who were involved in pagan worship, they hated the church. They persecuted the church. They, they rejected the church. But you know what they couldn't do? They could not silence the church. Jesus says, I've opened a door that no one can shut. You know what? The gospel was going out. They couldn't stop it. Because you have a little power. Now, there's several things that could play into that. This was a little church. This was a small church. This was a poor church. Not a wealthy church, not a church of great wealth. This was a poor church. In this Hellenistic world, in this Hellenistic city, this was a church who had very little influence. Evidently, that's not what mattered. This is a small church. This is a poor church. This is the church that when all the leaders get together and they talk about all the great people, they're not talking about anybody from the church. Evidently, it didn't matter. It says this, yet, small, yet, not much power, not much influence, yet, yet, you have kept my word. The word kept here, I've, I've heard someone, and I heard it in a sermon, say that that means that they obeyed his word. Now, we are to obey his word. That's, a, that's the outflow of our faith. We do obey but that's not exactly what the word means. It says, they have kept my word. In the, in the Greek, it means this. They have guarded my word. They have held my word. They haven't chipped away at it. They hadn't distorted it. They hadn't let some of it been, be, be weakened somehow. They had guarded his word. They had held his word. And then it says this. And they have not denied my name. They haven't denied my name. Now what that means is they haven't compromised. 
They haven't sold out. They haven't been somewhere and diminished his name in their life. They haven't denied his name. Now listen, the call of the day was, okay, so you believe in Jesus, but let's reinstitute some of these Jewish practices. We understand that you believe in Jesus, but why don't we take on some of these Jewish things? Why don't we start back with some of these things out of Judaism and let that bleed into the church today? It's okay if you believe in Jesus, but let's go back to some of these things. Or maybe the greater number of people said, it's okay that you believe in Jesus, but how about worshiping the emperors as well? How about worshiping and taking on the things of the culture as well, the government as well? It's okay if you worship Jesus. We worship many gods as well. Keep your belief in Jesus, but start to worship the emperor. Start to worship the government system. Start to worship the world, the culture that you're living in. This was a call to compromise. Set down the name of Jesus. It was a call to compromise. Folks, For 2,000 years, the temptation has always been to set down the word of God and to compromise with the world around us. That has always been the temptation, to compromise with the world around us, to set down the word of God. Listen, that's today. That's the world that we live in today. If you would just give a little, oh, if you would just give a little, why do you have to be so hard? Why do you have to be so dogmatic? If you would just give a little, if you wouldn't get so caught up in this doctrine, if you wouldn't get so caught up in this Bible, maybe you could just compromise a little. Isn't that the greatest thing? If you would just sell out a little, if you could say, you know what, close enough is good enough. We'll hold the main things. We just want to be close enough in has always been the call to set down the word of God and to compromise with the world that's around us. It's always been the call. It's the call today. But, very awesome, look at verse nine. Behold, Jesus, wow. Behold, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan Let me say this. It's it's pretty tough. Let me say it. If you're opposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ, you're of Satan. We tiptoe around that. We tiptoe around that. Well, they're close to us. Well, they're kind of like us. Listen, if, if you have deviated from the gospel of Jesus Christ, you're not in the halfway, in the middle somewhere. You're opposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ, and, and you're of the synagogue of Satan. Behold, I will cause those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. I will make them come and bow down at your feet and make them know that I have loved you. Now, as I first read that, I kind of think, well, good. Good, they're going to know the truth. They're going to know the truth about this church. You know what, they hate this church. They've dogged out this church. They've persecuted this church. Good, they're gonna see that Jesus loved this church. They're gonna come and they're gonna bow down and they're gonna submit and they're gonna see that God loved this church. Good. Don't miss this, however. You see, in seeing the truth, bowing down is a sign of submission. In submitting to the truth, they're going to see Jesus. 
Do you understand what it's saying here? When they come and they bow down, they say, you were right all along and we see God's hand is upon you. We see this is God's work and they bow down and they submit. They're gonna see Jesus. They're gonna submit to Jesus. Wow, this is very profound. See this. By not setting down the word of Christ and by not compromising to the world around them, they're gonna get the very opportunity to lead those people to Christ who hated them most. Listen, the hope for the lost world, the hope for the vile world, oh, it's so vile and so wicked, the hope for them, the hope for a humanistic, materialistic world, the hope for a Muslim world, the hope for the, for the lost, the hope for all those that hate the truth is still the truth. Last week I watched that stuff on 9-11. I started thinking, man, what a wicked people. What a, what a terrible people. Oh, it makes this thing well up inside of you against Muslims. You know what Muslims need? They need Jesus. No different than any lost person walking. You know what they need? They need Jesus. This church, because they didn't compromise the word of Christ, because they didn't milk it down, because they didn't water it down, because they didn't compromise and take on the sorry things of the world, Jesus says, you're gonna get the opportunity for them to see the truth that they might be saved by faith in Jesus Christ. Listen today, to be the right church, we have to have the right witness to the world. To be the right, to be the right church, we have to uphold the truth of Jesus Christ. We have to embrace the true Christ. That's why he introduces himself that way, to be the church that he's called us to be. We can't compromise. We can't fade out into the world that we're living in. We have to be the right witness to the world. Oh, let us be that. Let us be that, Calvary Baptist Church. Let us be the right church. Let us have the right witness. Let them point us to Jesus Christ. We have to have the right witness in the world in order to be the right church. Last thing, the, we have to have the right response to the call. Really, it kind of comes full circle in this one. We're gonna be the right church. We have to have the right response to the call. Verse 10. Because you've kept the word of my perseverance, I also will keep you from the hour of testing. That hour which is about to come upon the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Now I believe this is talking about the great tribulation. And let me, let me say briefly, we, we do suffer as Christians. This is not a call to escape trouble. This is not a, a, a call to, to escape trouble and, and hardships and tribulation. We do not escape those things. We exist in those things. In fact, if you read all these letters, that's what's going on. They're going through great persecution. This isn't saying, you know what, you put your faith in Christ, you'll never have any trouble. This is talking about the tribulation of the end days, the, the, the great tribulation of the end days, he is saying he's gonna rapture the church out of it. Verse 11, it says, I am coming quickly. I believe it's saying he is coming quickly for his church. This is the event in 1 Thessalonians chapter four when he comes for the church and there's gonna be the shout and the voice of an archangel and the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and he's gonna come and I believe he's gonna rapture up his church. Now, I would go deeper on verse 10, 
But people have been saying, I've been preaching too long lately. 51 minutes last week, longest sermon I ever preached. But I do want you to see this. Verse 10. Because you have kept the word of my perseverance. Jesus says, because you've kept the word of my perseverance. The word of his perseverance is his call to persevere. Jesus says, you're gonna have to put your hand to the plow and keep it to the plow. Jesus says, you're gonna have to persevere. And so Jesus says here, because you've kept the call to persevere, because you've kept the word of my perseverance, verse 11 says, hold fast what you have. Hold fast what you have. Friends, listen, to be the right church, we have to persevere. We have to persevere. The word persevere in the original language means to stay under it. Listen, it would be a lot easier to get out from under it. It would be a lot safer to get out from under it. It would be a lot more comfortable to get out from under it. But as Christians, we have to stay under it. We have to stay hooked. We have to hold fast. The word means cling on, hold on, hold on. We have to uphold the right Jesus. We have to preach the right message. We have to proclaim the right gospel. We have to stand in the right truth. And we're going to suffer for the right cause. We're going to suffer. Yes, we're going to suffer. It's going to be hard. We're going to have to suffer. But until Jesus comes, we hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Until Jesus comes. The church of Jesus Christ has to persevere. Nobody else is going to do it. Nobody else is going to stick with it. If the church of Jesus Christ will not persevere, there's going to be less light. Listen, our call, Calvary Baptist Church, is to hold on to stay under it, that they might hear of the right Jesus and hearing of him, they might be saved. Let's pray. Dear me, Father, we come. I'm thankful for you today. I'm thankful for the truth of your word. I'm thankful that you tell us as the church it's gonna be hard. You speak to these churches that are enduring hard times. And you tell us it's the right Jesus, it's the right Jesus that we have to uphold. You tell us we have to not set the, the message of Jesus down. We have to not compromise and, and melt in and sell out to a lost world. You tell us, you tell us. But then you empower us also. The Great Commission, you tell us, and lo, you'll be with us always as we take up this cause. You promise your presence. And the Holy Spirit of God, you, you promise your power promise your comfort. Lord, I pray for our church. First of all, I pray that you would protect us as we protect your word. I pray that you would encourage us as we guard your word. And I pray, Lord, that nothing but the right Jesus would ever be proclaimed through the ministry, the, the influence of Calvary Baptist Church. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't compromise to a sorry world. I pray we wouldn't try to, to, to sell out, to fit in, that we wouldn't try to water it down. We wouldn't compromise. Lord, I ask that you'd help us hold on, hold on, hold on until you come again. I pray the result of that is that many folks would find Christ. I pray it wouldn't be about us. It wouldn't be about our name. 
but it'll be about the name of Jesus. And I pray that as we do those things that many people would find Jesus Christ. Use us, Lord. Empower us. Use us. Be glorified in us. Lord, I pray for someone in this room that doesn't know you right now. I pray that today the barriers will be removed. And I pray that today, Lord, that you would just lead and propel, that your word would grab a hold, that today might be the day of their salvation. We trust that to you as well. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We worship you. Our king, our hope, our righteousness. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen.